Hey guys, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see you today. If you're a first time guest with us today and uh, we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River and uh, I'm excited you're here. Whether you're a first time guest or a long time member uh, or a regular attender, great to see you guys this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the New Testament book of Colossians. Today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Also, if you'll reach inside of your worship bulletin, find your message notes, take those out, and let's get started. I've got a lot of ground that I want to cover this morning. And, and, I almost give this as a disclaimer. You're not supposed to give disclaimers when you preach, but I'm going to give you a disclaimer. Today's message is kind of a, a bridge message. You know, we started a new series last Sunday called Next Level, and uh, it's through the book of Colossians. And one of the things I mentioned to you in, in last week's message, and by the way, if you were not here last week, you should go to the website and listen to that podcast. But I, I told you that one, one of my temptations is to just start a, a new series through a book like that by just dumping all kinds of background information on you and, and things like that that really interest me. But I said, I'm not going to do that today, what I'm talking about last week. Instead, I'm going to do that over the next several weeks. Well, this is one of those weeks. This is kind of a connecting week. Um, one of the challenges that a preacher has in today's world and I don't mean this as a slam on, on anyone. Please understand that. This comes from the, the best place in my heart. But one of the challenges that a preacher has is that so, so many people today don't have a, a real strong background in the message of the Bible. And so what happens is a lot of times preachers come up and we start preaching and teaching a message and trying to help people apply the scriptures to their lives and really you're trying to get them to apply things that they don't understand so I think that there has to be opportunities where the preacher pulls back and says okay but before we apply a bunch of things here that you don't understand I want you to understand some stuff first so today again is uh it's one of those Sundays where I explain some things to you. And, and I hope that you'll dig this. I think that if you'll, if you'll stay awake for the first 10 minutes, that, that you will dig it. Can, can I get you to just commit to that? You're going to stay awake the first 10 minutes? If you will, just say amen. Okay, I think that was everybody. I think I caught, caught everyone. Throughout history, there have been ideas, great ideas, that typically show up in, in the form of books that have changed the world, and not just for a decade or two, but they're ideas that have changed the world for centuries. Now, we've forgotten about a lot of these, but they are so very important. Let me tell you about one of these ideas. There was an idea that shaped Europe, and this matters to us because, you know, for the most part, we, we came out of Europe. But there was this idea that shaped Europe for about 500 years. And it's this idea called the divine right of kings. Say that with me. The divine right of kings. This means that everything the king said 
was law. The king made the law. So get a new king, you may have a new set of laws to live by. And what's more is that the king didn't have to live by the laws he made. Sound familiar? He could make laws that governed your life, but he could do anything that he wanted to do. And the king could have anything he wanted to have or anyone that he wanted. Okay, follow me here. It was assumed that the king was placed on the throne by God. So let's say you're the king. When you're leading, speaking, or directing as the head of state, you are doing or saying what God wanted done or said. Think about the implications of that. If you have a king that's placed on the throne and and the, the belief is that he's placed there by God and he's doing the work of God, to go against the king is to go against who? God, exactly. Even the church had to be concerned with the king's will. Because to oppose, the king was to oppose God. To obey the king was to obey God. Think about the courage it would take to challenge this way of thinking. But that's the way it was in Europe for a little more than 500 years until a Scottish Presbyterian minister named Samuel Rutherford wrote a book called Lex Rex. It was written in Latin, published in 1644, and Lex Rex, again, which is Latin, means the law is king. Not the king is king, the law is king. And therefore, the kings are subject to the laws they make and the natural laws of God. And if the king breaks the rules or breaks the law, then he is accountable like everyone else. That's where we get the phrase, no one is above the law. Samuel Rutherford died in prison because he wrote this book. And as many copies as could be gathered up... They were burned at the last public book burning at Oxford University in England. But the idea had already been planted. People were already thinking about the possibility that the king was a man. Not God and not a God, a man. And so Lex Rex had a huge impact on society and it became... The, the foundation of democracies here in America and also in, in Europe. And you can hear it in our own Declaration of Independence. How many of you had to learn at least the preamble to the Declaration of Independence when you were growing up in school? Yeah, you know, they don't learn that anymore. But they should. Anybody want to stand up and recite it just from memory? Can you remember back to the 10th grade? No takers on that? Okay. Think about the phrase in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident 
That, that means we don't have to prove they exist. We, we don't even have to explain them. It, it should be obvious to a person. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That every man puts his britches on the same way as every other man, one leg at a time. No king, no paupers, all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator. That, that means they're given something by the creator. They're endowed with unalienable rights, which means you didn't give them and you can't take them away. That among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The book of Colossians does something very similar. To explain this, I feel like I need to give you a little bit of the, the background of the time. And uh, I was thinking all week, how do I do this without making you go to sleep? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to do this with coins, not, not coins I have on me, uh, but, but pictures of coins that I'm going to put up on the screens behind me. And you might be thinking, Jimmy, why, why coins? Because in the ancient world, th there were two means for, for mass advertising, coins and statues. And we'll talk about statues a little bit later, but for now, we're going to talk about coins. Again, these are not coins I have in my pocket. I'm going to put these up on the screen. And uh, when you take a look at this first coin, this guy here is Julius Caesar. So I want you to kind of see what he, he looks like. Th this was a common coin. Now, it's for sale on eBay for almost $30,000. But back in the day, that would have been a very common coin, kind of like a quarter is in, in our culture. Um, so people would have handled these coins all of the time. Now, I, I want you to just notice something here because you'll see this show up in another coin in just a few minutes. L let me tell you about Julius Caesar. He, he's considered to be one of the greatest emperors of the Roman Republic. Of course, he ended the Roman Republic and became not only the emperor, but the dictator. He was murdered in uh, 44 BC by the Roman Senate. How many of you can remember, uh, remember back to your ninth grade Shakespeare? And can you remember Shakespeare in the ninth grade? You didn't do Shakespeare in ninth grade? Mm. Do you know who Shakespeare is? Okay, all right. Brutus and Cassius, they killed him. In, in, anyway. The death of Julius Caesar seemed like it would be the death of the Roman Empire. The empire after his death just fell into chaos. Tribal warfare everywhere. The economy was collapsing. And listen, people were worried that they would never again feel a sense of stability and prosperity in the Roman Empire. They were worried. They were afraid. Now listen, there are two things that every government offers its people. That they may have different ways of saying this, but it's the same two things. Stability and prosperity. You, you can hear those things coming from our own politicians today. When politicians want our votes, they offer us stability and prosperity. 
Okay, so here's what happens next. The next Roman dictator or emperor was Octavian. And he took on the name Augustus, which means holy and revered. This is a title, listen guys, this is a title that was reserved only for the gods. Now, Octavian was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Now, I'm going to give you a test on all this later. He, he, he was the nephew of Julius Caesar, but since Julius didn't have a male child of his own, Octavian was given the title of the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Still with me? All right, now check this out. When Julius Caesar died, a rumor was created at his death that a star, remember the star we saw in the coin just a moment ago? There was a rumor that a star or a comet arose from the earth and that Julius Caesar went to the place of the gods. So, so think about it. If Julius Caesar is in the place of the gods, that means he is a god. And if Octavian is Julius Caesar's adopted son, that would make him the son of God. All right, now take a look at this next coin. This uh, guy right here is Caesar Augustus. Caesar means he's emperor. Augustus means he's God. The people would have, they would have been familiar with his face. So, so here's, here's what this coin says to them. And by the way, this is two sides of the same coin. The left would be the head, the right would be the tails. He's saying, I am Octavian, the emperor of Rome, the son of God. Now, look back here. See that star? See that comet? Up here it says, Divias Philias, the divine son. And everybody knew what that meant right there, at least in the Roman world. They understood that was Julius Caesar. This is Octavian saying, I am Octavian, Caesar Augustus, emperor, God, son of God. So what does all this mean? What's happened here? The government of Caesar Augustus has claimed divine right. That means that they have divine authority over the emperor and all of its people. They're saying that Augustus is not a mere man. He is a god and he is governing the world as an agent of the gods. He is the divine son of God. Now Rome has spiritual authority over your life. Because he is the emperor, he is the son of God. So now, you not only give your allegiance and patriotism to the empire, but your religious devotion as well. Caesar Augustus is saying, if you devote everything to me, I will give you peace, which is stability and prosperity. And every day when they handled these coins... 
They didn't go to Sam's or BJ's or Costco and, and buy groceries in volume. They didn't have a way to keep food in volume. They would go to the market likely every day. And every day, whether they were buying groceries and, and food for the home or they were doing business and just trading goods, they would handle these coins and be reminded through this mass marketing propaganda campaign that Caesar Augustus is my God. The propaganda is, if you will devote everything to me, if you will give me your life and your soul, I will give you the desires of your heart. Okay. With all that in mind, let me ask you a question. Do you think that it's a coincidence that when Jesus was born... While Caesar Augustus is still ruling, that it's a coincidence that a star led the wise men to Bethlehem and stopped over the place where baby God was alive inside. You remember the story from Luke 2, right? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus saying, God. Do you think it's a coincidence that these heavenly creatures, these angels from heaven, appeared to the shepherds and said, Fear not, for behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which is exactly how an emperor would be introduced to the people he's about to begin ruling. I bring you good news of great joy but not just for the haves, not just for the royal class, but for all people. Do you think it's a coincidence that the angel, before there was this chorus, this multitude of angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The star the Son of God, the bringer of peace. These are all ways of talking about Augustus. This is not a coincidence. This is God undermining the Roman government. This, this is God saying, the man who rules you from Rome is a man. I am God. I have a, a plan that's thousands of years old. I'm sending my son, the true son of God. I'm going to bring you true salvation because the people, the people who were alive at this time, that's what they longed for. We need someone to save Rome. And Rome was the known world at that time. We need someone to save us. God said, I am sending my son, the son of the true and living God, to be your Savior. That's a game changer. Doesn't it help to just know a little bit about that? Now, after Augustus, every emperor claimed to be a god. After Augustus, you had Tiberius, Caligula, and then Claudius, all claiming to be God, 
all claiming to have divine right as leader of Rome and as the leader of your soul. Claudius was poisoned to death by his wife, Agrippina the Younger, so that her son, Nero, could become emperor. And when he became emperor, at first everybody was all excited about this guy. He was a a successful military leader. He was a cultured man. He could sing and act. He was well-spoken and charming. And he started out in a blaze of glory, but he he fizzled. He, He turned out to be a very cruel, sadistic leader. His reign ended when he was 30 years of age uh, when he committed suicide after being declared an enemy of the state. So listen, why does that matter? Because Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to Colossae about 54 AD, about the same time that Nero was coming to power. And the people, they, they, had, they had figured it out. I mean, people are not dumb. Sometimes our leaders lead us like we're dumb. But they were not dumb. They, they, they saw that Augustus, Caesar, Octavian, Augustus, he was a man. So was Tiberius. So was Caligula. So was Claudius, but maybe this new guy. Maybe he can be a man and a God. They wanted to believe he was a God because they needed a Savior. And so here's what was going on with the Christians at Colossae. They were confused. They they were pulled between their belief and their faith in Christ And the need from, or the need of a, a savior that could put Rome back together, that, that could help them right now with their economy, that could help them feel like a strong nation, a strong people again. And, and they were try, trying to, to figure out how Jesus could be their savior and if Nero could be their savior. And so Paul wrote to them to explain to them that Jesus is God. Fully man, fully God, that he is supreme, and how they should live and follow that king every single day. Make sense? Do I need to rewrite this between sermons or between services? With those things in mind, let's look at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. One of the things I want you to notice uh, as, we, as we get into this a little bit is just how this is lined up on your page. If you have your message notes, hold those up just so I can kind of see who has them. Okay, what you'll notice on there is that this is, it's indented. It's, it's not just like words on a page would normally be. When you see the scriptures indented that way, and, and we don't have them on the screens like that, but um, that usually means that this is a poem or a song. So what we're about to read this morning is an ancient hymn. 
they would have sang this together. In Greek, it would have had rhyme. And remember from our series back in December, Christmas carols, you, everybody doesn't have books. Not everyone can read, certainly not in the ancient world. So you put things in songs so that people can remember them. The, these words would have been an ancient hymn. Paul says about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Hold that on the back burner of your mind. We'll come back to that in just a minute. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Guys, listen, this is treasonous. Paul is speaking directly against the emperor, the God emperor. You could be arrested for this. In fact, Paul has been arrested for this. He is writing these treasonous words while in prison in Rome for preaching these treasonous words. Think about the guts it takes to do that. He is before all things. And by him, all things hold together. Why does that phrase matter? Because that's what the people of Rome were dying for, a leader that, that, could, that, could, that could hold this empire together that has just been falling apart. To, to, to you and I, this should mean a lot. When we're going through some time in our lives where we just feel like we are pulled apart, or where our lives are falling down, where things are collapsing, when we're in chaos, when there's instability in our lives. Jesus, not, not, a, not a human leader, Jesus is the one who holds it all together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his faithfulness or all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul says a lot about who Jesus is. And next week and the weeks that come after that, we're going to unpack about eight things that Paul says about Jesus. But I only want to give you one this morning. It's the one that I believe Paul is saying is the most important. When you think about Jesus and who he is, the first thing that you need to know about Jesus is that he is God. He is God. Paul says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, before we talk about what image means, let me talk to you about why Paul used this word. Remember that in the ancient world, there are two ways for mass marketing. What are they? Coins 
and statues. We've talked about coins. Let's talk about statues. If you lived in the Roman world, unless you lived in Rome, more than likely you were never going to see the emperor in person, especially if you lived in Colossae, which was so far away from Rome. So how do you tell people that you rule over who their ruler is? Through statues. Huge statues of the emperor and his family so that you could get to know them because one of these kids down the line, he's going to be your next emperor. May as well get to know him now. And they would place these statues all over the Roman Empire so that the emperor, the god, remember that, the emperor, the god, may be far away. Listen, listen. He may be invisible to you, but you could still see him in these statues, in these icons, in these images. You could see him who was working to bring you peace and stability and prosperity. You see how Paul uses those words? Images were important, so Paul went straight to the matter and said, no, 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 Nero is not, or, well, even more specifically, this statue of Nero, it's not the image of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And this doesn't mean that Jesus looked exactly like God. That's not what image means. Instead, Paul is saying, listen, this is so important. Paul is saying that all of the characteristics of God are in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, everything that God wanted us to know about himself, he has shown us through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you want to know who God is, you have to only look at Jesus. When you're with your friends and and you're talking about who God is and there's some confusion. When people say, well, we all worship the same God. Will you say, my God looks like Jesus. If that's not what your God looks like, then we don't worship the same God. And so there were Christians in, in Colossae that were struggling with believing that Jesus was only a man or he was only a God. But the fact is that Jesus is both. He is both God and man. And see how they're already struggling with that in their mind? How can Nero be a man here on earth and God at the same time? And Paul is saying he can't. Only Jesus can. Nero can talk about it. Jesus can back it up. Here's why that matters to you and me. It matters because every truth of our Christian faith grows out of this one truth. That Jesus was fully God who chose to be fully man. He's the only one who has that power. And this is the essence, this is the heart, the core of Paul's message to the church at Colossae. That Jesus was not just a a nice man or a good teacher. He is the son of God, the image of the invisible God. And it's critical for us to understand this. So anything we talk about next week or the next few weeks or in, in February or at Easter, none of it matters if Jesus is not God. 
And we need to be reminded about this. We need to be reminded because, and, and I know this because I'm a preacher that, that talks to people about Jesus. And, and we try so hard to make Jesus palatable. We, we want people to be able to relate to Jesus. So we say things like, hey, Jesus is your best friend. He's your bro. He's your homeboy. He's your teammate. He's a part of your entourage. And it's true that Jesus is your friend, but if that's all you know about Jesus, then what a great loss that is. If we don't recognize the supremacy of Jesus, that he is God. And listen, if you don't know that, you'll always be looking for someone else to follow. You'll always be putting your trust in the president we have now or the president we will have, or you'll always be looking back to the good old days when so-and-so was president. You'll always be looking for another leader who can give you peace or rescue you or give you stability, security, blessings, and prosperity. Unless Jesus has first place in our lives, we will follow the wrong leaders, the wrong ideas, and go in the wrong directions. Let's pray together. I want you to think for just a moment. about who has first place in your life. And, and maybe you, you can't fully answer this question today. Maybe it's gonna take a, a few weeks as we walk through this book of Colossians and we try to understand that, that Jesus is first, that he's, he, he was man and God, fully man, fully God. but I at least want you to begin considering it today. Because it, it will affect and, and change, direct and guide everything about your life. Because listen, if Jesus is not supreme, if he's not first, if he's not God, then that means you're worshiping something else or someone else as your God, even if that's you. So I, I want you in your own way right now just to say to God, God, over the next few weeks, I'm gonna open my mind and my heart to you and what you say to us through this book, Colossians, through your word, the Bible. And I want you to say, Jesus, I'm gonna be listening to you. I'm gonna be looking at you. I'm gonna be open to what you would say and what you would do in my life. I ask you to show yourself to me. Open me up to giving you first place in my life. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. And those who agreed said...
Amen. Listen, uh, we have just a, a very quick business session. So I want to officially call us uh, into our business meeting. We're voting on the budget today. Donnie's going to make a quick uh, presentation. We've been talking about this the last several weeks. We've given opportunities uh, for you guys to ask questions and do vetting. We're going to vote up or down on the budget and also the election of two trustees, Bill Engel and Mark Shropshire. So if you would, give Donnie your attention and then he'll get us out of here quick. Right, Donnie? Yes, about 45 minutes. That's the joke. Sorry, here we go. Here's what we need. I need a, a motion to open the business meeting. Okay. Need a second. Okay, got it. And then I need a motion to accept the budget as it is in your bulletin. Okay. I need a second. Okay, all those in favor say yay. All those who oppose say nay. Okay, motion uh, budget passes. I need a motion to accept Bill Engel and Mark Shropshire as our new trustees. Okay. I need a second. Okay. All those in favor say yay. All those who oppose say nay. Okay, I make a motion to close the service. Got it. I, that's, that's always the easiest one. I'm not sure why. And I need a second. Awesome. I got it. Uh, thank you guys very much. We've got an exciting year here in 2018, and we're excited that you are a part of that. Uh, God bless you. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.